food system in its current form is really built around very few crops like corn, soy, and wheat. If we really want to see positive changes in the food system, it's going to take significant investment and innovation in value-added processing capacity for alternative crops. There's only three wet fractionation facilities in North America, so we would be the fourth. And by creating domestic capacity, what we're going to do is cut the transportation cost and the GHG per kilogram of protein by roughly 70%. And that's huge at the end of the day to make alternative proteins more competitive with the traditional meat market. That's Chris Thiel of Fido Organics Foods. We'll feature their work in pea processing today, as well as Darren Bonder and what he and his team at Hempalta are doing with hemp processing. So there's been a big gap in the marketplace as there just have not been industrial hemp processors. If you drive around, there are literally thousands and thousands of these bales sitting on farmers' fields and nobody knows what to do with them. So we're providing that solution and we hope that we're able to advance the industrial hemp industry, especially with this cool hemp train and this ag tech that we've got. Value-added processing is a critical component to improving the food system and it needs more attention. Darren Bonder and Chris Thiel join me to highlight some innovations in this area on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a minute to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is the engine of Canada's agriculture industry, Calgary, Alberta. Located in the heart of Alberta's best-growing land, Calgary really does have it all. With more than 22 facilities in Alberta playing a critical role in ag research and innovation, Calgary is a hub for precision agriculture and agricultural technology. The Calgary region has proximity to customers, abundant primary agricultural commodities, and a growing cluster of value-added processing capacity. That's going to be the theme for today. That's why multinational agribusiness leaders call Calgary home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. Thank you so much, as always, to Calgary Economic Development for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now to today's episode about value-added processing, and it's a little bit of a different one than our normal format. You're actually going to hear two different stories today that I'm going to do my best to narrate for you. I originally captured this audio from these guests to be used as spotlight segments at the end of the episodes, but really they fit so nicely together and did such a great job of providing two different stories that highlight the need and the opportunity for more value-added processing in agriculture. And so I wanted to weave them together for today's episode. I'm going to do my best to do so for you. Now, we often get excited about the future of agriculture being more diverse and more distributed and more differentiated than it is today. But this is just not going to happen by just planting new crops and hoping for the best, right? Entire value chains need to be created to facilitate rich and more diverse crop rotations and a wider range of available and sustainable food choices. A very critical piece of this is processing. Now, these are entrepreneurs that tap directly into the demand 
innovate on the operation side with their technology and their business models and develop relationships with farmer suppliers. And I'm really excited to feature two of these entrepreneurs here on today's show. So first, you're going to hear from Darren Bonder, president and CEO of Hempalta, which is an agricultural technology company focused on innovative hemp processing and product creation. It is one of the only commercial scale hemp processors in North America able to manufacture high value hemp products. And after Darren, you're going to hear from Chris Thiel, founder, president, and CEO of Fido Organics Foods, which is an independent Alberta-based innovator, processor, developer, and distributor of conventional and organic plant-based protein for the food and beverage industry. Their project, which isn't in operation yet, but it will be soon, sources yellow peas to produce high-purity protein isolate from their wet fractionation facility in Strathmore, Alberta. So some great insights in this episode, and I think also some inspiration for what's possible when people like Darren and Chris focus their entrepreneurial efforts on this industry. And we'll start with Darren, who in his case, he'd already been a successful entrepreneur in other industries before finding the opportunity with Hempalta. Spent a long time in retail with the first company called uh, Watch It. So it was a chain of watch stores that we built across Canada, selling fashion watches and sunglasses. And then uh, in 2017, 2018, pivoted to the cannabis industry with the legalization of recreational cannabis. And as an experienced retailer and a cannabis enthusiast, it was a really good fit, uh, I think, for myself and our team. And uh, we built Spirit Leaf, which was uh, ended up being the largest chain of recreational cannabis stores, uh, built over 100 stores through a franchise system. And uh, we sold it last summer to, uh, to Sundial Growers for, you know, a good $131 million, I think, was the final number. And yeah, but I was still pretty young and had some some life in me as an entrepreneur and uh, really saw the benefit of, of hemp and have seen that uh, for many, many years. But it became more to the forefront during my time in the cannabis industry, you know, just stumbled upon this uh, this ag tech equipment that was developed here right in uh, right in Calgary, not too far from my house. And uh, kind of fit all the all the things that I wanted to do and was looking for in a business being something that was, you know, good for the planet and sustainable. And then at the same time, you know, from a business aspect, I really like that we're solving a problem that uh, there's margins so we can, you know, pay staff, uh, you know, proper living wages and uh, still find a return for our shareholders. So kind of hit all those metrics. And then from a creativity side, we're basically, you know, building something from nothing. And uh, I've always loved the kind of creative aspect of uh, building products and, and promoting a new company and a brand. So that's how I stumbled here. And when Darren says he stumbled upon this opportunity, he doesn't mean literally, of course, but it's not far from it. He was looking for a business to buy. And as it turned out, the company that developed this hemp processing technology was looking to sell their prototype facility. I'm an entrepreneur. So literally, it's as simple as uh, I was you know, looking through businesses for sale in Calgary as I was trying to figure out what was next for me. And saw this hemp processing facility listed amongst all the restaurants and liquor stores for sale, and uh, reached out to uh, Canadian Greenfield and you know went down to see the facility. So they actually built uh, a prototype facility right off Blackfoot Trail here in Calgary to you know prove out their machine. So Canadian Greenfield will continue to sell hemp trains in other parts of uh, Canada and the U.S. and the world, but we bought the prototype facility and all of their kind of proof of concept products. 
So to make sure that's clear, it's an engineering firm that built the technology for hemp processing. They built a full facility just to showcase their technology, and we're running it just to show that it works. But they're an engineering firm, not a hemp processor. So Darren saw the opportunity to buy the facility and operate it commercially himself. They spent the last six or seven years really working on this equipment and uh, transforming the way hemp is being processed. So uh, it's a hundred year old, you know, hammer mill process of how they used to uh, still do process hemp to separate the stock to get the various streams. But Canadian Greenfield Technology has built what's called the hemp train. And what it does is it takes these thousand pound bales that are currently waste on farmer's fields, essentially, and separate them into uh, four different streams, which we then are able to use for, I mean, there's 25,000 plus different commercial uses for industrial hemp. So um, uh, from cat litter to uh, food preservation pads, but they're very much, you know, an engineering focused uh, firm. So these products really needed some branding and marketing love to be brought to the next level. So after the hemp seed is harvested for the primary crop, the farmers left with these bales. And in case you're curious, the four different streams that he mentioned include herd, micro herd, green microfiber, which is nutrient rich fiber, and 75 to 80% clean fiber, which can be further processed for textiles, insulation, hemp wood, and a variety of other products. And to give you an example, one of Hempalta's flagship products uses hemp to keep fresh produce in a crisper for longer without it spoiling. Yeah, it's really incredible. I think uh, all Canadians and I mean everywhere really we're struggling with high food prices and you try and buy more maybe at some bulk stores to save money and then you know your produce ends up going bad. So the hemp fresco is quite innovative actually um, and something only we can make well with the hemp train the way we process the herd. So we're able to um, take the herd and put it into this custom pad that uh, you put in your crisper as you mentioned. And what it does is it pulls out the moisture and the ripening gases that allows your food to stay fresher longer. So, um, yeah, you put one of these pods in for, uh, you know, they last for about 30 to 45 days and uh, significantly prolongs vegetable and fruit life. But the Hemp Fresco is just one example of the many products that Hempalta is branding and taking to the market. They've looked at a wide variety of uses for these hemp products and explored things like biodegradable packaging. They've also found a strong market in animal bedding. Yeah, uh, one of our most popular products, which is new to me as I haven't really been in uh, the pet space before, is our animal bedding. So um, animals really enjoy this bedding a lot more than wood shavings. It's a lot more comfortable. And then those who are uh, servicing it enjoy it because it's very absorbent. It's much cleaner. It's not toxic. And uh, in fact, we just did a collaboration with the Calgary Zoo where they've uh, taken out their old hemp bedding that they were using. I think they're using wood shavings and uh, now they're using the hemp pet bedding that we uh, provide. Uh, it's just a lot softer for, you know, giraffes have sensitive skin. It's more absorption, you know, has more absorption and uh, it's just all around better for an animal's health. So we're really excited about the partnership with the Wilder Institute in Calgary Zoo. Darren says there are, of course, a lot of bulk materials that can be sold from this hemp process as well, but they're focused on consumer products that can be branded and differentiated that they could build on over time. Hemp is just such a great example of an industry that has been developed based on its primary product, CBD, but in order for it to remain viable, it needs to develop processing and demand for these co-products as well. 
I think in uh, Europe, they're a lot further ahead than we are in North America, particularly with respect to building materials and kind of green alternatives for that. But the big bottleneck across North America, and you're right, everybody's been focusing on CBD and the flower and uh, all that portion of the, the plants. But then what was just forgotten is, okay, now that we've cultivated, uh, we have all these bales, we have all this fiber, which needs further processing. So how do we do that? So there's been a big gap in the marketplace as there just have not been industrial hemp processors. So we're solving that problem in southern Alberta in particular, like in the Brooks and Lethbridge area and all, all throughout. If you drive around, there are literally thousands and thousands of these bales sitting on farmers' fields and nobody knows what to do with them. So we're providing that solution and we hope that we're able to advance the industrial hemp industry by being a processor and, and showing people, okay, when you process it, especially with this cool hemp train and this ag tech that we've got, you know, these are the streams and these are the different ways that it can be used. So it's going to require a little bit more consumer adoption, but I, I do know, we, I think we all know that consumers want more sustainable uh, products and alternative products. So I think it's really just kind of education and people understanding what we're doing. And Hembalta is sourcing these bales directly from farmers themselves, mostly across southern Alberta. Darren said they can even take bales that are three to five years old and still get everything they need out of the hemp through their process. And it's very important for farmers to keep hemp as part of their uh, crop rotation because it regenerates their soil. But, you know, it's one thing to, to grow it and process it for the oil. But then when you have these bales, it's frustrating for the farmers. So um, this is just giving them some confidence that they can grow hemp, that they will be able to get uh, sell the entire stock. And uh, what we call full plant utilization is really being optimized. I think that with more education and more time, this is going to continue to grow. And Darren said through their process, they're able to take what is now generally considered waste sitting out in fields and use virtually all of it to turn into marketable products. We're uh, pretty much a full waste-free facility, so we're able to use it all. We've actually pretty much figured out the streams for everything. We're still toying around a little bit with the optimal use for fiber. And we, you know, we've landed on a couple of things, so it's just going to take a little bit more development time. But uh, these are really, you know, game-changing applications that we've developed uh, that uh, we're excited to continue to educate customers. And, you know, a lot of cat litter is toxic, as an example, with clay and the clumping materials. And then your animal goes and sits on it every day. Whereas with uh, our cat litter, it's 100% natural and uh, good, you know, healthy for your animal and more absorption. So, yeah, I think we've really found good uses for all of our streams. And uh, now it's, it's just education and, and getting it in customers' hands. And there's still a lot of work to be done on this customer education side. It's a heavy lift, even in a place like Canada that's been growing hemp for decades. But there's also reason to be optimistic as the crop becomes legal and destigmatized in more and more areas. Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of interest in the hemp market. I think it was uh, industrial hemp has been legal in Canada for over 20 years. So Canada really had the opportunity to kind of get ahead of the curve. The U.S. with the new Farm Bill has legalized uh, industrial hemp in some form or fashion. Every state has its own regulations. Uh, so it's a little bit still mixed up down there. But I do think kind of the, the legalization of recreational cannabis in Canada has brought more attention to the plant as a whole. And this is not a new plant. It's been around for thousands of years. Henry Ford built a car out of hemp, you know, in the 30s or 40s. So I think it's starting to see a renaissance. I think that we're helping to solve a bottleneck in terms of processing. 
And the hemp industry is in a really good spot to have significant growth over the next five years, in particular, as more and more products come to market, as North America looks at the models uh, in Europe that have been successful. And as we just continue to educate and give farmers the confidence to, to grow the crop for the benefit of their soil, and then we're able to use that in all sorts of different products. And while hemp, as we've talked about, is an obvious example here because the crop has been planted in more areas as it's become legal, there are many crops like it that need more innovation and processing capacity. Darren says it's going to take entrepreneurs willing to take the risk to push these industries forward. I think really it's just, you know, agricultural technology is, uh, is really taking off. We're one small element uh, of it that's focused on hemp. And uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for growth in the hemp industry. You're seeing some Alberta grants coming down to support it. But what the industry really needs is more entrepreneurs, you know, kind of willing to take the risk. And we see the opportunity to start developing these uh, commercialization products, uh, whether it's from hemp wood or hemp based insulation, you know, on those kind of large scales to really see this thing become a significant uh, contributor to the Alberta economy. Well, one such entrepreneur that definitely fits this description is our next guest that you're going to hear from today, Chris Thiel of Fido Organics Foods. Chris's entrepreneurial journey into the ag industry is a personal and a special one. For me, it was a bit of a personal experience. I had a, a very serious head injury in January of 2020, so much so it was, a, it was deemed a traumatic brain injury. And part of that recovery was, was switching to an anti-inflammatory diet. And you know, that diet over time has just become a, a lifestyle diet choice for me. And as I evolved, I looked more and more into the, the diet, alternative proteins, and you know, the, the core economist in me started looking at what's going on in Western Canada with respect to value-add uh, egg processing. And you know, what I saw was that we've built two fractionation facilities in Manitoba and none in Alberta. Manitoba produces about 5% of Canada's yellow peas. Alberta is about 40%. And so it really you know, dove into this being a great economic opportunity to add value to a market where today Alberta exports 95% of its yellow peas raw to China and Bangladesh. So I'm sure you can spot the obvious similarity there in Darren's story and Chris's story about finding the opportunity in value-added processing. In Chris's case, the supply was already very well established, but the processing was taking place elsewhere. But there's also another catalyst happening here in this industry, rising demand for plant-based meat and dairy alternatives. The market for the, the traditional meat alternative protein, it, it's had high growth and I'd say it's levelizing into that mid to high single digit level. So still continued demand and I think it's still early penetration in a number of markets. What's interesting about our technology is that we recover both the insoluble protein, which is used in those meat alternatives, and we recover the soluble protein, which has got that dairy application. So for us, it's a wider addressable market. And where we see the high growth in this industry is, number one, in dairy alternatives, and number two, in white meat alternatives, the chicken and the fish. And part two of the technology that we've, we've aligned with is it removes the non-nutritional components of the pea, so it takes out some of the challenges in the industry on pea isolate in terms of bitter taste, bitter smell, but it also uh, removes or it avoids a follow-on oxidation that would 
change that protein isolate into this yellow color. So it's a very pure white protein and highly applicable into those dairy alternative and white meat alternative markets. So that's, I think, what's differentiating about the technology as we look into where the growth, the higher part of the growth uh, segment is in the market today. On the dairy alternative side, Chris said this could be for pea milk specifically, or probably the bigger opportunity is in adding protein to other plant-based milks or dairy alternatives. Yeah, there there are actually dedicated pea milks, or you can have you know, alternative milks where you've got almond or soy, but you want to increase the protein content and you don't want to change the, the taste, the texture, um, but you want to have a, a greater protein content in that alternative milk. You can add five, six, seven percent protein isolate into it and get a, a higher protein uh, a beverage at the end of the day. You've got dairy applications in yogurt and in this emerging cheese alternative market. So it's a pretty wide application space uh, in the dairy sector. Beyond just the processing capacity, Fido Organics is bringing a next generation technology to the market to make the color and the flavor of these protein ingredients more appealing for food companies and for consumers. Yeah, so protein-wise, they're 23 to 24% protein is the actual protein content in a yellow pea. The biggest challenge in this market is, is that most of the technology in the market today, you still have this bitter taste, bitter smell, and this, this yellow-hued color uh, in the protein isolate. And it really limits its application in food products or that end consumer packaged goods company is using masking agents to deal with the bitterness uh, or, or follow on processes to bring the color up to a, a lighter off white color. So really what this technology does, you're removing the non-nutritional components, the saponins, the phenolics. And when you do that, you're addressing the bitter taste and bitter smell. And when they're otherwise left in that stream, it'll oxidize and, and turn that protein powder, that, that yellow color. And that's really limiting, particularly for the dairy market and that white meat alternative market. So the answer is historically, and really with current technology, it's still an issue. This next generation technology is addressing it. And I think that's what's differentiating. This differentiation piece seems like a real key for me because it carves out new value for phytoorganics instead of strictly having to engage in price wars with overseas established competition. It's twofold. We are a food ingredient manufacturer and we'll have five streams that basically we're, we're extracting every human consumable component in a yellow pea. So you've got your, your two protein fractions, which are your, your soluble dairy alternative, your insoluble meat alternative, you've got processed fiber, pea hull fiber, uh, and starch. And all of those are, you know, essentially maximizing the value of that pea. And what I say it's commoditized, I don't think so, because I think what the technology does is it creates, number one, you know, those sentry attributes that are challenging for the pea protein isolate market. It's removing those but yet you still have this highly functional protein isolate. That's been the feedback that we've had is that this is sort of the first there where the market has seen you're, you're addressing both the functionality attributes and the sensory attributes. Um, and I think part two of what we're creating is we're building a net zero processing facility in Strathmore. And in doing that, what we can provide to that offtake customer is the ability to label their food products as sustainably processed food. And I think that's differentiating 
I think eco-labeling is coming in Canada and it'll ultimately come in the U.S. And for us, it's really about positioning well in advance and having the opportunity to build a greenfield facility and differentiate ourselves in the market for that end consumer that cares as much about what's in their food as they do how it's processed. And just like you heard about how Hempalta is using the entire bale of hemp, Phyto Organics technology allows them to utilize and maximize the value of nearly the entire pea. You know, when you look at the composition of a pea, it's roughly 23-24% protein, just under 50% starch. Um, you know, the balance is fiber and some residual. And what we've really done is evaluated all of those co-products and they're available to the human food consumption market. So, you know, the, the starch is 85% pure starch. And the biggest market for that is that that Asian glass noodle. And we've seen a lot of interest uh, for that. Uh, processed fiber and pea hull fiber, you know, they range from, uh, you know, bread applications to, you know, putting in uh, meat and, and, and burger uh, applications to now, you know, the, the nutraceutical pharmaceutical market to baby formula. So, you know, when we think about what we're doing, we're going to extract with this technology 90% of the protein out of a yellow pea and all of the other human consumable components. So it, it really leaves uh, very little in terms of, of uh, residual waste. Uh, so you're maximizing the value of the, the, the yellow pea by virtue of all those revenue streams. And there's another significant factor at play here, getting to process the raw ingredients closer to both the supply and also the demand that brings with it reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. You know, what you think about the challenges in this industry, it's very early. There's only three wet fractionation facilities uh, in North America. So we would be the fourth. And what we create or addresses the cost challenge in this industry. We, we call that supply chain of exporting peas raw to China and, and, you know, food ingredients back to North America, the great circle supply chain. And by creating domestic capacity, what we're going to do is cut the transportation cost and the GHG per kilogram of protein by roughly 70%. And that's huge at the end of the day to make alternative proteins more competitive with the traditional meat market. Chris said they expect to begin construction on this Fido Organics facility this year and be in production by the end of 2024. They want to buy directly from local farmers, and Chris anticipates being able to pay a premium for traceability and ESG reporting. We've uh, what we called two farmer engagement meetings. We were out in uh, Wheatland County and Vulcan County, just east of Calgary. Uh, those two counties alone produce 20% of Alberta's yellow peas. And so we held two engagement meetings in June and had about 45 farmers show up and, you know, they're excited. They, they see us, you know, uh, installing 40,000 metric tons a year of, of demand in their backyard. And the language is, well, with, with that immediate demand, uh, we can add peas in the rotation. And, you know, for us, there's, there's different elements of, of what we have to bring back to those farmers in terms of ass by phyto. And that's traceability from a food safety standpoint. And it's ESG reporting from, you know, a GHG standpoint, and we'll pay a premium to those farmers. So, you know, we're putting demand in their backyard. We're going to pay them a premium relative to export market. And really for us, it's about developing long-term relationships with those farmers and, you know, source 40,000 metric tons a year. Our, our whole mandate here is to build this as a first phase 
and then expand the plant. We're doing a the pre-design on on the the land plot we have to double the size of this this plant and make it eighty thousand metric tons a year. And even at eighty thousand, we've got five times our capacity grown within an hour and a half of Strathmore. Well, this is very cool. I really enjoyed both of these conversations. Thank you so much to Chris Thiel, who you just heard right there from Fido Organics Foods, as well as Darren Bonder, who you heard earlier from Hempalta. I just really enjoyed both of these conversations. And here's a few reasons why why these types of stories really have my attention right now. Uh, number one, for all the people out there talking about regenerative agriculture and more sustainable practices, a uh, very few seem to be creating the real markets that must exist for these changes to ever take place for the average farmer. In my humble opinion, it's much more likely to be these innovative entrepreneurial processors that will facilitate these types of changes than it will be the headline grabbing carbon markets or consumer facing brands that aren't doing the heavy lifting these guys are doing. Number two, these companies want to buy directly from growers. They're bringing real opportunities to farmers rather than just the vague promises of future benefits that a lot of new ideas to agriculture seem to have. Not knocking the other ones, but I just love the tangibility of this opportunity and the real ability to value add these raw farm goods. And then three, this is not your typical Silicon Valley sort of capital I type of innovation. These are the real nuts and bolts advancements, literally and figuratively, that I think agriculture will need, that the future of our industry will rely on. Anyway, I could go on, but that's probably enough of my soapbox for today. Thank you so much again to both Chris and Darren for today's episode. Uh, what do you think of this format, this narrative kind of format? I, I did this one out of necessity based on a number of factors I won't go into, but I'm curious if you prefer this to the interview format that I most often do. Let me know on Twitter, LinkedIn, or via email. I'm Tim at aggrad.com. Thank you so much for your time and your attention and you bearing with my voice, which is suffering from a cold today. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.